and if you use the connection card, we're gonna, what we're going to do at the end of the service, we're going to pass the baskets down and so you can put the connection card and any physical offering that you have in the envelope. So, um, so, so apparently we have church on the 4th of July. I didn't, I didn't realize that this is the first time in like 20 years that I've been in church on the 4th of July weekend because I've always taken my vacation like just forever at the beginning, like the end of, this, you know, end of June, beginning of July. And so literally I don't think that I've been to a North Jersey Vineyard 4th of July service in 20 years. I'm taking my vacation at the end of the month because we've got the regional conference and there's some other things going on. But it is, it is good to be with you guys on the, the the 3rd of July, um, I'm continuing our series that we've been doing on the book of Daniel. And so uh, we've, been, we've been working our way through. I'm going to be here till pretty much the end of July, kind of continuing to go through it. I think this is week four of what's going to be seven weeks as we go through the book of Daniel. And uh, the interesting thing about, about the book of Daniel is, is that it's this kind of hybrid of biblical literature. And so you might be aware, you might not be, the, the Bible is unlike any other book where it doesn't have one author and it's not like starts at page one and goes all the way through. It's got multiple offers. It was writ- uh, authors. It was written over a period of almost like a thousand years. And, um, uh, and there's all sorts of different genres. So you've got poetry. Uh, you've got history. You've got prophetic books, which actually are God-giving messages, you know, either for the time or for what's going to happen in the future, or prophecies about the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus. You've got the, you know, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. You've got the New Testament, which is everything after the time of Jesus. And so Daniel is considered one of the major prophets. There's major prophets and minor prophets. Not major because he's more important, but major because the book is longer. That's how they differentiate between major and minor. And, uh, but what's interesting about Daniel is he's kind of a hybrid. So he's like half history and half prophecy. But we, so we've been going through the history parts, the kind of narrative parts. But if you'll notice, though, there's like a real prophetic edge to the book of Daniel, even the history part. And so we've been talking about how we can live as exiles. Like, how do we live as the people of God in a culture that doesn't share our values and maybe is getting even a little bit more antagonistic against, you know, what it means to, like, worship God and to follow Him. And so there's been this, like, prophetic edge. Now, the, the second half of the book, or, like, the last third of the book, are kind of interspersed, are these prophecies where Daniel talks about, like, when Jesus was going to be born and, and end of days, end times, all that kind of, you know, different nations that were going to rise up. So we'll get into that a little bit. I think the last, the last week that I do this, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but we've been, we've been focusing more on the history parts. And so if you remember, uh, we've, we started talking about the fact that Daniel and his three pals, these teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get exiled. They're, they're like the best and brightest in Jerusalem. They get exiled to Babylon. And the first thing that happens is they have their name changed. And so we talked about how culture wants to change your name. Like if you're living, you know, as a, you know, living in exile, a stranger in a strange land, you got to be aware that that culture is going to try to change what your purpose is, what you're for, what you're about, what your values are. It's going to try to change your name. And then the next week we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they refused to bow down and worship the idol. And so they ended up getting thrown into the fiery furnace and Jesus was with them, so they came out. But, but we talked about the fact that, you know what, living in exile... Culture is going to make you, is going to want you, is going to try to get you to bow down to their idols. And so how do we stand up in a bow down world? When everyone else is bowing down, how do we stand up? Last week, we, it was kind of this really interesting account of Nebuchadnezzar, the king, 
And he was, he was really prideful. And we talked about pride and, and the sin of pride. And, and so he wasn't giving God credit. And he thought he did all this great stuff on his own. And so God let him go crazy. And so for seven years, he, he lived out in the field and he thought he was a cow and he ate grass and until he got to the place where he acknowledged God and repented and then he got his mind right and he came back in. And so today, we're going we're gonna to look at a, another thing that happened, another historical account uh, that, that I think is, is very prophetic for all of us, meaning that it's, there's a warning that's in here that's really important for us to, to ask ourselves some questions, for us to kind of evaluate our life. And one of the things that you'll, you'll know as a result of this message is what the phrase, the handwriting on the wall means, right? So you have where that came from. We've heard that phrase, you know, like they ignore the handwriting on the wall, which meant there were warning signs that they ignored. And so today we're going to see where that phrase, where that phrase comes from. So, so we're going to go right through Daniel chapter 5, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through a lot, of the, a lot of the chapter. I'll read some of it, I'll narrate some of it, and then, and then we're going to get to making some applications and asking ourselves some questions, because I think it, it could be really powerful. So Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, it says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Now Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. All right, and so Nebuchadnezzar's dead, he's gone, and so now years have gone by, Belshazzar is in charge. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. So, so they're having this big party, thousand people, all the VIPs in, in Babylon are there, they're getting drunk, and so, so Belshazzar says, hey, let's bring out the, ga- the goblets that we took from the temple in Jerusalem, that my father took from the temple in Jerusalem. So these aren't just normal goblets, these are holy goblets that were in the temple. And so they bring them out, and they start drinking wine out of them, and they continue partying. And then, as if that wasn't disrespectful enough to Yahweh, to the Lord, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so they're actually, they're basically doing the thing of like, look, we conquered Yahweh, and so our gods are better, and so we're celebrating that our God is more powerful than their gods. And, and so that's what's going on, when suddenly... The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. So, I mean, imagine that, right? You're at a party, thousand people, everybody's getting drunk, and all of a sudden you see this hand just kind of appears. Now, we don't know if it's like a normal size hand. We don't know. Maybe it was like a really big hand. Maybe it was like the hand in the Adams family and it came out of a box. Like, we don't, we don't know, but, but we can imagine. Imagine if you're like drunk, right? You've been drinking all night. And all of a sudden, you see a hand. And you're like, are you, are you, am I the only one seeing this? What's going on? And so this hand starts writing on the wall. And so verse 6, the king, Belshazzar, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. 
the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing, because nobody could, it wasn't a language that was known. Nobody knew what it said. They didn't know what it meant. They just saw that this happened. Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in in the kingdom. So, so Belshazzar sees this, freaks him out. He's terrified. Probably everybody's terrified. And none of the astrologers, none of the diviners, nobody could tell him what the words mean, what this is all about. And so then says the queen. So I don't know actually if it was the queen mother or if it was like his wife. But she's like, hey, there was this guy who really helped out your dad named Daniel. And he's got the spirit of the gods in him. And so he knows stuff. And so if you go ahead and you get Daniel, because apparently Daniel had been on the shelf. Daniel was like on mothballs for whatever reason during Belshazzar's reign, even though he was like so powerful with Nebuchadnezzar, like high up in the kingdom. And so, so the queen's like, get, get this guy Daniel, and he's going to be able to tell you what's going on. And so, uh, so then, you know, you go down to verse 13. It says, Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have inside intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel's response to that was, I don't need this. I don't need the gold. I don't need all that. And then he goes on and he tells them, and he says, hey, hey, Belshazzar, remember, remember, remember what happened with your dad? Remember Nebuchadnezzar, your dad? Remember there was like seven years and you were like a kid and you're like, hey, mom, where's dad? And mom's like, well, he's out in the field. He thinks he's a cow now and he's eating grass. Remember that? That was because your father did not honor the God of heaven, right? Remember when that was going on and what was happening there is your dad got prideful and your dad didn't honor the God of heaven. And so then he, he ate grass like he was a cow until he honored the God of heaven. Then he came back into the palace. And then he says in verse 23, and I love Daniel's boldness, because remember, this, this is the king. Like the Daniel could just, you know, the king could just make one gesture and Daniel's head would come off, but that didn't scare Daniel at all. He says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, even though you knew all this. Like you were old enough to, you knew that this is what went on. Instead, you went even further. You have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life in all your ways. Now listen, I'll tell you one of the things, a little bit of a side note, one of the things that culture will tell us over and over again in a bunch of ways is God isn't important. That, that if you're like in the, you know, if you're into God and you come to church and Jesus centered your life, you're going to have people in your life be like, what do you, why do you, why do you waste your time? Why do you go to church? Why do you, why is that important to you? Like, what's going on? What was, what was wrong with you? Were, you? were your diapers too tight when you were a baby? Are you working something? Like, what's, what's the deal? Like, that's not important. That doesn't matter. But actually, this is the truth, right? You should center your life on Jesus. Make God the center of your life because the Lord, he is the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Whatever our culture says about God and relevancy and importance, he is the one who holds your life and all your ways in his hands. 
And so because of that, we make him the center of our life because he is the Lord. And so he goes on and he says, therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. And so, so it was interesting is that, um, you know, verse 25, he said, the, the inscription that was written was Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This, or, nobody knew what this was. It almost like sounded like made up words. It wasn't like a known language. And then he goes ahead and he interprets it. So verse 26, he says, here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, which is the singular of Parsons, your kingdom is divided and given to the, pay, the Medes and the Persians. And so I think that we, a couple, you know, thousands of years later, we can look at this and we can learn things. We can evaluate our life in the same way because that's what's happening here is Belshazzar is being given an opportunity to evaluate his life and make some changes. And so I think for us, this is a good opportunity for us to evaluate our life and maybe make some changes. And so the first point comes from Mene. We forget that our days are numbered. We forget that our days are numbered. God has numbered the reign of your, the days of your reign and brought it to an end. And you see, what's true for Belshazzar is true for all of us. We only have a set amount of time. Our days are numbered, right? I mean, we lose sight of that because, you know, I've, I've heard people saying, I think it's really true. The days are long, but the years are fast, right? You ever notice that? And it's just like the older you get, the faster life goes by. And I know that's true no matter, I'm not just talking to us old people right now who are just like, how did this happen? What happened? Like I know people in their 20s who are just like, I can't believe I'm not in high school anymore. Or people in their 30s who are like, didn't I just graduate from college? And it's like, no, that was 10 years ago. You're a full adult now. You're not just adulting, you're an adult. <laughs> but uh, um, or, you know, people who are like, like you get to my age and it's like, I've got, how did I get a 28-year-old kid? And then, you know, and then some of you were like, how do I have a 28-year-old grandkid? Because, because life flies by. It goes by really fast. See, you have a birthday, but you also have a death day. Aren't you glad you came to church on the 4th of July weekend? My name is Pastor Phil, and I'm here to encourage you. Um, but actually, you know what? It's important for us to be aware of this, right? The Bible says in a lot of ways it's important for us to think about it. James 4, 14, it says, you don't even know. Listen, we plan our life. We think I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other thing. I got nothing but time. You plan, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. And see, the, what happens is whenever we think we have a lot of something, we tend to be careless with it, right? We don't, we squander it. And so we have this thing. We kind of think we're going to live forever. We kind of think we're just going to kind of keep going on. And so we, we, we squander our time. It's like if, if you were really, really wealthy, right? And in your house, you wouldn't... Remember, you know, did your dad, when you were a kid, like, like go around turning all the lights off and like yell at you for leaving lights on? And I've become like the dad of this church now because I'm always turning lights off. And I come in in the morning, I'm like, why are all the lights on? Why is all this going on? But you see, if you were inordinately wealthy you wouldn't probably worry about the lights, right? You wouldn't be like turning the lights off and being like, hey, let's, you know, you wouldn't be making an issue out of it. If you were inordinately wealthy, like $5 gasoline, you'd be like, oh, okay, so it cost me $80 to fill up my tank, no big deal. But if you, if you don't have a lot of money and you're just like, oh, wait a minute now, I gotta, do I really need to drive there? You know, is this, is this something that I can do? And so the same thing is true when it comes to our days. If, we're, if, we, if we think we have nothing but time, we're going to be careless with how we spend our time. We're going to squander our time. It says this in Hebrews 9.27. It says, people are destined to die once 
and after that to face judgment. Now listen, if you're in Jesus, right, um, that day of judgment is not about your salvation because Jesus paid the price. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But there is a judgment seat that, that I'm going to stand in front of, that we're all going to stand in front of, where it's after you were saved, what did you do with the gift of salvation? What did you do with the time that you were given? What did you do? How did you invest the days? What did you do with your gifts? What did you do with your life, right? That, that we're, that we're going to have a death day, and then we're going to stand before Jesus, and we're going to give an account for how we spent our time. And so let me ask you this question, right? So, so to be aware that our days are numbered, imagine how you would feel, how you would respond if you discovered that you only had six months to live. Let me, I'm going to make it a year, right? Stretch it out a little bit. So it's not like imminent, but it's like coming, right? You have a year to live. What changes would you make in your life? I bet you'd make a lot of changes, right? I bet there'd be some things in your life that you're doing that you would stop doing. That you'd say, I only have a year to live. I'm going to stop doing this. I bet there'd be some things in your life that you aren't doing. And you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to start like making those phone calls. I'm going to start connecting with some people. I'm going to start doing things a little bit differently. And then there are going to be some things in your life where you say, I'm going to keep doing this. Whether I got another month, I got another year, I got 10 years. These are things I'm going to keep doing. And so we think about this because we realize that our days are numbered and that we, we start making these changes now. Right? That we realize that our days are numbered and we say, what, how do I want to live my life? You know, aware that I don't have unlimited time. The second warning is tekel. And what I kind of get out of this is that we allow our lives to get out of balance. And so what Daniel said to Belshazzar is, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. In other words, life is out of balance. So let me ask you, who here would say, you know what, my life is perfectly balanced. I have the perfect, I spend just the right amount of time with God, just the right amount of time with my family. I, I have balanced my work life and my home life perfectly. I invest in friendships. I get eight hours of sleep a night. I even have a hobby. My life is perfectly balanced. Anybody here saying that? Probably not, right? The reality is that our lives get out of balance. And, because, and we know that there's some things, like we're not spending our lives maybe the way that we should. Now, is there a list of some things, just kind of funny things that just kind of tend to eat up time, like, you know, things that we just don't even realize. The average person during the course of their lifetime, they're going to eat out 14,411 times, right? And it's like a, a large amount of that, like something like four or 5,000 is going to be McDonald's, which is not something that you want to do. We will spend 13 years and four months watching television. We will spend five years waiting in line. Now, that's the one that didn't really ring true to me, but maybe that's because I avoid... Like, if you tell me we have to do something, but we're going to have to wait in line, I'll say, let's do another thing, because I don't, I don't like waiting in line. But uh, we're going to spend one year looking for stuff that is lost, and we're going to, during the course of our life, we're going to drive 627,000 miles, which means we're going to drive around the circumference of the earth at its, at its widest point 25 times. And so, you know, this list came out before we got cell phones. And so you think about, like, the way we kind of squander our time. Like, how much worse is it now? You know, I mean, you get on your phone and you go to TikTok or you go to Instagram Reels. Like, you fall into a black hole that just sucks time. And you're like an hour in and you're like, what have I been doing? I've seen a lot of cute cats doing cute things, but I think I've been wasting my time. 
The other thing that's interesting is now we have this whole remote, you know, you can work remotely. And, and what we thought going into this is we thought, this is going to be awesome. This is going to help me balance my life. I'm going to be, I don't have to commute. I can spend more time with my family. It's all good. But now that we're a few years into this, what we've discovered is it's the opposite. What working remotely does is it completely blurs the line, the distinction between your work life and your family life. So now you're on call 24-7. Now you're just kind of, you're working all the time. And so how can we make sure that we're not on call 24-7? You know, we got to ask ourselves some questions. we got to say, you know what, maybe my kid doesn't need to play five sports and prepare for the SAT at the same time. Right? Maybe I need to tell my, I need to have some conversations with my boss and just say, hey, listen, I'm not on call 24-7. And here's a day or here's a period or here's an evening or here's something where I'm just, I'm just not going to answer. I'm just not going to be on call. Or maybe we learn that, you know what, no is a complete sentence. And so we don't have to say yes to everything. There are times we're going to be like, yeah, no, thank you. I, I don't want to do that. And then I'll tell you something that I think could make a huge difference. If we start asking ourselves, we talk, I talk all the time around here about knowing our purpose, we made on purpose for a purpose. As start asking yourself before you take on new things, does this line up with my purpose? Does this, is this something that I can do, something I can spend time doing? Is something that I was created to do, something that I'm for, something that's going to bear fruit, something that Jesus is calling me to? Now, I don't think that we can have every single thing in our life, you know, go through that test. But the more we ask ourselves, does this line up with my purpose, I think the better we're going to be. And so it says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better one handful with tranquility then two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So maybe what you need to do, get your life in balance, that you need to simplify, that, that this maybe describes you. You've got two handfuls. You're trying to you know, do everything you can, but it's toil and chasing after the wind and exhaustion and an ulcer and sleeplessness. And maybe you need to just really spend some time and say, God, how do I get my life more in balance? Which leads to the third thing, which is Parson. We ignore the warning signs. And so, so what Daniel says to, to King Belshazzar is, your kingdom is divided and given to the Persians. And sure enough, it was. So you have, so you have Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and then you had the Medes and the Persians, which is modern-day Iran. And so like that night, Darius, the Mede, became king of Babylon, like took over Babylon. And so you see, like when we had the Iran-Iraq war, and people said that this went on, like, you know, in history, it went all the way back to here. I mean, Iran and Iraq have been fighting for thousands and thousands of years. And so basically, what, what, what God says to Belshazzar is, if you don't get your life in balance you're going to lose your kingdom. And maybe God would say the same thing to us, that here's an opportunity. You're not living like your days are numbered. You're not aware that you don't have unlimited time. Your life is out of balance. And if you don't get your life in balance, your, your marriage could be divided. Your relationship with your children could be divided. Your job, your, your peace, your ministry, your physical health, could be divided. And you see, we have this tendency. So what God is doing with Belshazzar is he's giving him a warning. And so we have this tendency, though, we, we ignore warnings. But you see, God is so generous and he's so good. 
And what he does is he says, listen, I love you and I see that you're going down a road. I see that you're living an unsustainable life. You're on a path. You know, you're on this road that leads to destruction and the bridge is going to give, the bridge is out and the road is washed away. You're going to go over a cliff and I love you and I'm for you and I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and a hope. You need to stop. And I wonder if some of you right now, God is warning you. Like the warning signs are there and one of the ways that God speaks to us, one of the, one of the most powerful ways that God will speak to us is through pain. And I love when, you know, C.S. Lewis, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Because, you know, when you're in pain, like, you, like everything stops when you're in pain. You have your like undivided attention. And so I wonder right now, maybe for some of you, you're going through pain in one, some area in your life. You're going through pain. And this may be the red, the, the red light on the dashboard of your life where God is saying, you need to make some changes. And so here's a couple of the warning signs. Let me walk you through some of, the, some, of the, some of the red lights, some of the lights on the dashboard. Maybe one of them is that you've, you're being tempted more. So a, a King James word, which is a good word to maybe be aware of or phrase, is besetting sins. Besetting sins, in other words, you've got, you know, we all sin in a bunch of different ways, but I bet you in your life, there have been two or three or four sins that have just kicked your butt consistently, right? That you, you just like over and over and over again. Hebrews talks about the sin that so easily entangles us. I think he's talking about the besetting sins where you just kind of like, you, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this again. And then you do it. God, forgive me. And then you do it again. And, you know, just, just kind of on this pattern. And the thing about it is, is that your besetting sins are different from my besetting sins, right? And so I may look at your besetting sins and be like, what? Well, stop it. What are you doing? And you look at mine and say the same thing. But maybe one of the warning signs is that those besetting sins, like it's getting harder and harder to resist, that you're just finding the temptations are getting stronger. And maybe it's a sign that your life is out of balance, now, unfortunately, you know, through the, oh, especially over the last few years, we have seen pastor after pastor after pastor fall morally, meaning they blew up their life. They had a secret affair. They had this addiction. They had something else going on. And so a lot of what, what people have done is they've done like interviews to try to find out what was going on. And the same thing could apply to CEOs and others. And, but what they always find when somebody blows up their life, it's that it comes when they're burning the candle and both ends in the middle. That something, we have an enemy, right? Our, the, our enemy, the devil, he's like a roaring, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he does not fight fair. And so he's going to wait for you to be tired. He's going to wait for you to be stressed. He's going to wait for you to be overwhelmed. And then he's going to pounce. Right? And so that's one of, the, one of the warning signs that maybe your life is out of balance. Another is that your emotions are inconsistent. Your emotions are inconsistent. You find yourself just like, I don't know, maybe you're just weeping. Like, you know, somebody says something and you're just weeping and you're not normally like that. Or, or you're flying off the handle. No elbowing the person next to you. None of that. That's not going to be helpful. But maybe you're like, you're driving. You're just like yelling and screaming in the car at, at other cars that can't hear you. Or you're taking it out on the dog or, or whatever it is. That, that, that you, and then after you, after you lose it, you kind of say, well, well, that's not me. What's going on? That's not me. No, it's not you. It's your soul trying to tell you that something's wrong. It's your soul kind of saying, hey, your life is out of balance. Something's going on here. You need to pay attention. Something else I think that we need to be aware of is that we're, we're less productive. We're getting less done. 
See, we, one of the reasons we have these out-of-control schedules is we think, well, if, you know, if the more we work, the more we're going to get done. Study after study after study has shown that that's not true. It's actually the opposite that's true. And so let me just give you a little bit of advice. You know, and it's not my advice, it's God's advice. And it's actually all the way through the Bible. You need to take a Sabbath. You need to have... Jesus said this. He said, he said, God did not make man for the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for man. In other words, the Sabbath is God's gift to you. And so what is a Sabbath? Right? What it is, like real basic, like if you want your life to be in balance, it starts. There's other things you can do, but it starts with taking a Sabbath, which means at least one day out of seven, you're not working. And so because, you know, that Christianity was kind of more influential in the U.S. for a while, and so, so Sunday was the Sabbath. And that's why the blue laws are in effect in Bergen County. That's why you can't, that's why the malls are closed and stuff is kind of stayed. Because it used to be that, that Sunday was the Sabbath and everything kind of shut down. And, uh, and so, so you go to, you know, part of that is you go to church. And so that's, that's really good that you're, that you're in church, you kind of get, getting started. But that's just the beginning of your Sabbath. And I would encourage you, like, take a Sabbath. Now, maybe if you're a nurse or you're a cop or you're a pastor, Sunday doesn't work to take the Sabbath, but the principle is the same. One day where you're not working. Like, you just, we need that. We have to have that. And it's not just, if you're doing it on Sunday, it's not just like you go to church. Then, you know, we always used to, a big kind of tradition that, that people would have is, is Sunday family dinner. Right? Remember Sunday family dinner where everybody would get together, the extended family, and, and you have a meal together. And maybe you don't want somebody, you know, you don't want somebody to be working so hard, so maybe you order out or whatever it is, but you get, you get the family together. And then husbands, you know, maybe turn to your wife after the meal is over and say, hey, let's take a walk. And then after you pick her up off of the floor, you take that walk. <laughs> and then you come back and you take a nap, right? That's what it means to keep a Sabbath, that you have one day that you're off the, that you're not, you know, the hamster running on the treadmill. And if you're going to keep the Sabbath, what it means for sure, whether it's Sunday, whether it's another day, on that day, you're not answering emails for work. You're not trying to get a head start on the week. You're saying, I'm going to trust. I'm going to, just like God, after he worked six days creating the universe and rested on the seventh day, I'm going to rest and I'm going to show that I'm depending upon God. And let me just say this. If you don't keep a Sabbath, your life is not in balance. That's kind of the, the baseline. That's kind, of where, that's kind of where it starts. And then the last thing is this. I think there could be others, but just for this morning, you feel distant from God. You feel distant from God. Maybe some of you, you know what? You, you, there was a time where you just loved worshiping God. Like it was just the highlight of your day to put on worship music in your car, coming to church, whatever it is, and just worshiping God. Or you couldn't wait to kind of spend that time with God and get your Bible and sit in, sit in your favorite seat and just kind of go for it. Like you couldn't wait for that or serving Him was the highlight of your day. But, but now you just kind of feel like you're going through the motions and you just feel like God hasn't been speaking to you. Now, sometimes we go through seasons like that, but sometimes a season like that or a time like that could be that we're burnt out. It could be that our life is out of balance. And I think that God is always speaking to us, that God is trying to get our attention. But it's like if you go to, you know, MetLife Stadium and there's 80,000 people there and everybody's yelling, you can hear the cacophony of sound. You can hear the roar of the crowd, but you can't hear the individual things that people are saying. And maybe that's your problem is that you just, it's, your life is too loud. 
There's just too much going on. You're running here, there, and everywhere. And you need to do like what it says, what it says in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And so let me, let me give you some more advice. I've got, I'm giving lots of advice today. Spend the first 15 minutes of your day with God. I'm telling you this, you know, maybe, you know, don't, don't worry about the time or whatever, but, but spend at least like just 15 minutes where you're going to get up, you're going to get a cup of coffee, you're going to go sit in your favorite chair, you're going to read a chapter of the Bible, you're going to talk to God, you're going to pray, you're going to set your heart on God. You're going to quiet yourself. You're going to be still so you can hear His voice. So that you can, as you relate with Him, as you connect with Him, you can see God's order, God's balance come back into your life. And so, so going back to, to the story here, verse 29, it says, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And so there was this warning, and you know, maybe there had been other warnings that, that Belshazzar had ignored, but it got to a point now where, where it was too late. And so, so how do we respond to this? How do we respond? Because I know this is one of those messages. I know that I'm kind of talking to everybody. I know that something that I'm saying here is resonating because we're all kind of in the same boat. So how do we respond to this? Let me give you a couple things, and I'll just go through it quick because I kind of already said everything that needs to be said. Number one is live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Live with the sense, listen, you were made on purpose for a purpose. The reason we talk about that all the time is it's so essential for your life. It's so essential for you to know your purpose. So many people now think the good life is that you don't have any responsibility. The good life is you retire at 40 and you go sit on a beach and you just spend your days with no responsibility. I don't think that that's the good life. I think the good life is that, is that we take on as much, with Jesus' help, as much responsibility as we can, and we try to make the biggest difference that we can while we live on this earth so that when our life is over, when we hit our death day and we see Jesus face to face, we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, I think that's what matters. I think that's what's important. And it says this in Psalm 39, verse 4 to 5. It says, show me, Lord, my life's end. And the number of my days, let me know how fleeting my life is. And so live with a sense of purpose and urgency. The second thing is put first things first. Put first things first. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And so I could talk about all sorts of practical things we could do and time management things. Let me just boil it down to this. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so we put, remember, God is the one who holds your life and everything that affects you in his hand. And so Jesus said, if you put God first, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God says, I am going to be, I'm going to put my favor on your life. I'm going to put my protection on your life. I'm going to pour out my provision on your life. You seek me first. And then all the other things you would want to seek ahead of me, I'll give you that stuff. You just put me first. I'll honor that decision. And so I just want to encourage you to, like, just don't think it's so easy to think about something like that in an ethereal way, just kind of like, I'm putting God first and maybe we're not actually doing it. And so how do you break it down? 
And I want to encourage you to, to put God first in everything. Give Him the first of your day. And I'll just say it again. Spend that first 15 minutes with God. Give Him the first of your day. Give Him the first of your week. And that's what, you know, that's what Sunday morning church is all about. You know, Sunday is the beginning of the week, the first of the week. You give God, you know, you and your family, you come, you give God the first of the week. And let me just say this, I want to, enc- I want to encourage you, put God first every week. Every week, like we, you know, like there's, there's some of you, like you come every week and it's Sunday morning, we're going to be with my church family, we're going to worship, but there's others because life gets busy and you're just like, oh, okay, maybe I'll go to church today. But what if you were to have an answer like, no, I'm going to give God the first of my week. I'm going to, I'm going to do the Sabbath, so it's not just going to be going to church, but I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship, I'm going to worship with my church family. And let me, let me just say this, you know, as we're, we're, you know, two and a half years into this pandemic. I think it's time. We're going to always continue to have the live stream, but I think it's time that we come back to church. I think it's time that we come back and that the live stream for people, you know, maybe you can't come for whatever reason, or maybe you're someone, people who've moved away, or people who are checking out the church to begin with, that's great. But as far as people who just kind of say, it's more convenient to just watch at home than to go worship God, you know, in the family of God, let's, let's stop that. Let's make, because we're, we're a gathered people. Right? That God, God's Spirit, like as we, you know, it says He inhabits our praises, that He dwells in the midst of us as we worship Him. And so let's come together and let's, and let's worship the Lord. Let's give Him the first of the week. Let's give Him, you know, the first of our year. We try to do that in our church in a couple of ways. We, you know, there's the school year and then there's the calendar year. And so that's why we do 21 days of prayer. We do, you know, we're going to start it up at the end of August and we'll do it for a week at the end of August, first two weeks of, of September. And then we'll do it again. We'll do, we'll do 21 days of prayer and fasting as we start the new year. And I, it's a great way for you to say, all right, you know what? Summer's over. Ramping up the fall, school, all that. God, I'm going to intentionally give you the first of my year. And then I'm going to do it again, you know, I'm going to do it again in the new year and in in, when the calendar turns. That we give God, you know, the first of our finances. That's what tithing is all about. That we, that we put first things first and that we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the last thing is this, right? We do it now. We do it now. And let me just, you know what, let me just say this. I think all of us, right, all of us, there's... This is a very actionable sermon. I think every single one of us, there's something maybe that you're thinking about, something that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on. But I wonder if I might be talking to a couple people who might feel really discouraged. And maybe what you feel is that, you know what? I have squandered my life. And my life has been so out of balance for so long. I don't, I don't think that I can turn it around. I don't think that I can get to a place where, where my life is balanced and, and my days are productive and I'm making a difference in the world. I think it's too late for me. But I just want to tell you, if you are drawing breath, it is not too late for you. I don't know, I don't know what your story is. I don't know the details of what you've gone through, but I have heard a lot of stories through the years. And I've heard so many people who, who got, they were at a place where their life was, it just seemed to be over. But then they cried out to Jesus. Then they invited Jesus into their life. And Jesus did this incredible thing. What, what the Bible says about Jesus is that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
And so maybe you feel like a smoldering wick, like a candle. The wind is blowing and there's not a lot left and, not, and it's going to go out any minute. What Jesus does is he comes and he cups his hands around that flame and he guards it and he protects it. He will do that for you. There's a, there's a beautiful passage in the Old Testament where it says that God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And I just think that's such a beautiful description because maybe that's how you feel. Like you had your life and you had your dreams and you had your expectations and you had your hopes and you thought this was going to happen in your marriage and this was going to happen with your kids and this was going to happen with your career. And maybe it was ministry. I know I'm talking to people and you thought, oh, this is what's going to happen in ministry and this is where things are going to go. But then the locusts came. This like huge cloud of locusts and they came and they just devoured everything, stripped everything bare. But what God can do is he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And if you give Jesus the opportunity, I promise you, not because I'm trustworthy, but because he's trustworthy. If you give Jesus the opportunity, he will change your life. He will restore your life. He will do this thing that's so amazing. He will make your life, you know, things were good and then the locusts came and like, you know, wrought destruction. He'll actually make your life better because of the locusts. He'll, he causes all things to work together for good. You'll have a testimony. And you'll say like Joseph said, you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God can turn it around. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 6 two, The Lord says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. How, well, let, let's just let that sink in for a minute. I didn't actually, this didn't hit me when I was preaching this at 9.30. But man, the time of God's favor, wouldn't you like that? Like God's favor, right? His favor, His blessing, the time of God. Boy, time of God's favor, that sounds good. And in the day of salvation, I, I helped you. But then it goes on, it says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day for us to say, you know, mene, mene, tekel, parsons. Us to say, you know what? We've seen the handwriting on the wall. And we are, we are going to number our days. We want our days to count. We want to, we want to see Jesus face to face and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Not that we're earning our salvation, but we're just like out of our love. We're taking the crowns he gives us and throwing them down at his feet just because we love him so much. And we want, we want our life to be in balance. We're going to pay attention to the warning signs. And we're going to say, you know what? Now is the day. Now is the time. Not next week. Not next year. Not after, you know, not in 2023, but now. And especially for those of you who feel like you're at a crossroads, who feel like, you know, your life has been going down the wrong path and maybe it's been so out of balance. Now, today is the day of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. And it starts by you surrendering your life to Jesus. This is where it all starts, where you say, Jesus, I, I want you to come into my life. I accept your free gift of salvation. I've been trying to do life on my own. I've been the one driving my own car. I'm going to get in the back seat now and I'm going to let you drive because from here on out, you're going to be in control. It starts, I'll tell you what, listen, if you, how many of, how many of us here right now would say giving my life to Jesus was the best thing I ever did? Let me hear you. If you would say giving my life to Jesus, come on. Let's give him the honor. Let's give him the glory. He changes lives. And so I want to tell you that could be true for you. That today is the day of salvation. It's the beginning of enjoying God's favor. It's the great turnaround. And it starts with a very simple prayer. 
And I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. So let's all stand. See, I didn't know church in 4th of July could be so much fun. <laughs> what I've, I've been missing out on for the last 20 years. But Lord God, we just welcome your presence here right now. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, God, that you warn us. We thank you, God, that you lead us on paths of righteousness for your namesake. And so, Lord God, teach us to number our days. Help our lives be in balance. May we hear whatever warnings, whatever things you're saying right now. And if you're, if you're here right now and you have not yet given your life to Jesus, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, now is the time. And so you kind of know that like something's going on. For some of you right now, like your heart's beating a little bit faster. You're kind of feeling it. You know, you're feeling a little, you're feeling a little warm. Part of it is it's hot because we had to turn off the AC for the cameras, but that's, but you feel like even beyond that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in. Let me in. I want to change your life. I want to lead you to my abundant life. So if you're ready to do that, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I've been, I've been in charge of my own life. And I know, I know now that my days are numbered. My life's been out of balance. And you've, you've sent me warning signs, but I've ignored them. But I'm not ignoring it today. Please forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, you're in charge. From here on out, you are the Lord of my life. And I want to know you. And I want to honor you. And I want to serve you. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer here this afternoon or this morning. Okay, awesome. Awesome. You can put your hand down. And I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. One, if you would, if you just check off on your connection card that you decided to become a follower of Jesus, that you prayed that prayer, I got some stuff I'm going to send you in the mail that I think could really help you, some little booklets and stuff that can help you with like your next steps. Or you can text follow to, to this number and that'll kind of trigger the same thing. All right, we're going to have people from the prayer ministry team come up. We're going to, we're going to also, while we do that, we're going to pass the baskets. All right, so they're going to kind of go this way. It is 4th of July weekend, so there's a few more gaps in between the basket passing here, but we'll, we'll figure this out. And, uh, and prayer ministry folks, come on up. And see, here's, here's the deal. I think, I think all of us have something that the Holy Spirit's kind of putting His finger on. And so I want to encourage you to just to, to come up and, you know, maybe we could have some life group leaders come up and help us pray too as well, you know, and... and uh, because I think that there's something really significant that can happen. Like you could, if, there's something about responding and saying, I'm, I'm going to invite someone else into this and I'm going to pray about this. And, you know, the Bible says that, that where two or more are gathered, Jesus is right there in the midst. And so maybe there's a way for you to respond and say, 
I want, I, I need this balance. I need this change. That's something about letting someone pray for you and with you can really make a difference. And so, Lord God, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to honor you. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you're with us. Teach us, oh God, to number our days and to live balanced lives that glorify you. Because we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. If we could have some people like Life Group leaders and some others come up and help us pray. And like serious about, you know, come on up and get some prayer, okay? God bless you. Take care.